And Can It Be happens to be my favorite hymn. Brother Anthon didn't know that. If, uh, if Beth goes to heaven before me and anybody's planning my service, please include And Can It Be. Particularly, I remember being at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Screen Lake, New York, as a Christian who was coming to grips with the Lordship of Christ, a Christian who had lived several years before that not acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus, although I was saved. And I remember singing with the student body at Word of Life, And Can It Be? And I remember coming to the fourth verse as a prodigal Christian who was coming back to the Father. And I remember crying as I sang. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That I've been seeking to do since 1981. Sometimes stumbling and falling, always knowing the grace of God to be forgiven, to be restored, to be used of him. It's all of him, all of his grace, not of my merit. And so tonight, all these years later, I am privileged again to have the Bible between me and you, uh, recognizing its authority first in my life and then its authority in your lives as well. We were in Romans 9 this morning. If you were with us, we saw the great doctrine of the sovereignty of God and how it has been worked out in five different ways, according to this chapter. If you happen to be uh, unable to be here this morning, I encourage you to go to the church's webpage and to click on media and sermons and to view that sermon because the doctrine of sovereignty makes all the difference in the world to the believer. And now we come to the last verses of Romans 9, verses 30 to 33. And what a fitting climax, conclusion to the chapter when we consider together Israel's present time, which is rejection of Messiah. Uh, and the title of this morning, or this evening's sermon, excuse me, is How to Miss Righteousness. How to Miss Righteousness. And as I start that consideration with you this evening, how to miss righteousness. Uh, I enjoyed Larry King when he was on the television for many years. And as some of you who are familiar with Larry King's show, you know that he made a very good living interviewing a vast array of guests. Uh, many of, of those on his show were of a religious orientation. Uh, I recall that Larry King interviewed Billy Graham one night, and then it would seem the next night Larry King would interview the Dalai Lama. Uh, Larry King questioned those who claimed to contact the dead, those who claimed to have extraterrestrials from U UFOs, those who claimed to scientifically prove that homosexuality was genetic. You see, Larry King was interviewing a, a vast array of different viewpoints. He, he interviewed those who contended there was no God, 
Larry King gave a platform to broadcast the dogmas of Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Jews and Mormons and cultists and spiritual movie stars and singers and authors and liberal Christians who disbelieve the Bible and then Bible-believing Christians like Dr. John MacArthur who, whenever he came on Larry's show, brought sanity to the air. Yes, every spiritual conviction from soup to nuts was given its day in the sun on Larry King's show, it seemed. And over several years, the nature of his interview choices led me to observe and to deduce that he was himself searching, that he didn't have it all together spiritually, but he wanted to understand many versions of the truth, many versions of life's meaning, and many versions of God and salvation. Larry King, I believe, was searching. And something that hit me about all these interviews of a spiritual orientation, that Larry King was wanting to take bits and pieces out of his various interviewees' beliefs. As I said, one night he leaned toward a UFO watcher, and the next night he leaned across his desk to John MacArthur, seemingly choosing to somehow receive from both worldviews. And to me, this connection, interviewer to interviewee, was more than a cordial politeness and more than a professional respect. To me, it looked like Larry King had an eagerness to get as many answers from as many spiritual people as he could. The sad thing is, to my knowledge, to this date, the retired Larry King has been so open he has missed God's righteousness in Jesus Christ. I pray he will not go to his grave having not received the righteousness that only Jesus can give. You may be here tonight in the same sinking boat that Larry King finds himself in. You may figure tonight that you'll just be open to all faiths and take what you like from each and make your own kind of spiritual stew I have a family member who is like that. He prides himself on being open to all reasonable ideas in the spectrum of spirituality, but he sees Christ's claim of being the only way to God as narrow and unreasonable. But spiritual stew without Jesus Christ is poison. My family member is so open, he closes himself off to the righteousness which is available to him in Jesus Christ's person and finished work. Of course, we pray for our family member's salvation uh, before it's too late for him. We love him. And we know that to date he's missed righteousness, missed being right with God. And our passage this evening is about this thing of missing the righteousness of God. I want to read with you the last verses of Romans 9, which are 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? 
because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. One approach to teaching truth is to ask questions. And I want to take that approach, I want to use that approach this evening to exposit, which means to explain these particular verses in their context. I have six questions which arise out of verses 30 to 33. Six. Question one. Who attained righteousness? Answer, the Gentiles. I see that in the first part of verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness. Who attained righteousness? The Gentiles. That was unlikely. Question two. What did they not do? Answer. Pursue righteousness. The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. 30 part B. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? What did they not do? Pursue righteousness. That seems ironic. Question three. What did they do? Still in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is, watch it, by faith. What did the Gentiles do? They exercised faith in Christ. Verse 30, again. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So who attained righteousness? The Gentiles. That was unlikely. What did they not do? Pursue righteousness. That was ironic. What did they do? They exercised faith. <laughs> faith. That was too easy, some would say. That doesn't make sense, some would say. Some would ask, you mean if Adolf Hitler put his full faith in the Jesus Christ of the Bible right before he suicided, would he have gone to heaven? Yes. Because salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and that is radical. It's crazy good. Grace married to crazy good mercy. Crazy good grace, God giving us the good that we don't deserve, married to crazy good mercy, God not giving us the bad in judgment that we deserve. That's radical. Grace is, you know, the acrostic maybe. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G, God's, our riches, A, at, See Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Joanna, when she was little, wanted me to explain what a gift certificate was. Try to explain what a gift certificate is to a four-year-old. It's not easy. 
Finally, I came up with an answer to four-year-old Joanna's question, what is a gift certificate? I said, a gift certificate is you getting everything that someone else paid for. That's salvation. Us getting everything that Jesus Christ paid for. It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace flows like Niagara Falls into a person's life whose faith acknowledges personal sin, inability to earn forgiveness, and Jesus Christ's absolutely unique life, death, and resurrection as the only acceptable remedy for their sin. Have you ever made those faith acknowledgments to God? Probably tonight on a rainy Sunday night in Nassau, Bahamas. Most everybody who's made the effort to be here has acknowledged by faith personal sin, inability to earn forgiveness, Jesus' absolutely unique life, death, and resurrection as the only acceptable remedy for your sin. Probably everybody uh, here tonight has, but maybe there'll be one, maybe there'll be two or more that haven't. Have you ever made those faith acknowledgments pertaining to Christ before tonight? God has no spiritual grandchildren that your parents were born again. You can't ride on their coattails. Trust him and only him if you never have. Again, how in the world did the Gentiles of all people attain righteousness? They exercised faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, that was a derogatory term. Jews look at Gentiles like most of us all are and said uncircumcision. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, great contrast, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. In the Jewish temple, they had the court of the Gentiles and they had a wall, and no Gentile was allowed past that wall into the inner sanctums of Jewish worship. And Ephesians 2 is saying, for he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, Jews and Gentiles, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By having, it put to, by having put to death the enmity, 
between Jews and Gentiles. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar away and peace to those who were not near, the Gentiles. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit." How in the world did Gentiles get righteousness? By exercising faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 10, 24 to 48. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius, that was a Gentile, now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up and saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And he talked with him and entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent me. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Boy, that would be a good verse to put on a pulpit of an evangelical church. I sent for you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. Now here's what should be on the pulpit. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the ones of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know. Of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Not only t not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach 
to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. That's what me as your preacher prays every Sunday, morning and evening, that the Holy Spirit will fall upon all who are listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been pour, had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water of these to, be, uh, these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on a few days. They could speak known languages which were previously unknown to them. That's biblical tongues. To evidence that what was happening in the impartation of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone was legitimate to Gentiles. We believe the gift of tongues have ceased since the canon of Scripture is complete. How, did, how in the world did Gentiles, of all people, attain righteousness? They exercised faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 2 we've read. Acts 10 we've read. Excuse me, Ephesians 10, 2 we've read. And Acts 10 we've read. And I say don't ever underestimate what God is able to do because of grace. Don't miss this, that God himself values faith in himself and in his way of salvation the very most. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says that, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans 3, 21 to 26, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Never underestimate what God can do when a repentant sinner puts his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I had the privilege of quoting these verses to lead a gentleman to saving faith in Christ last week when I asked him, if God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? The dear man gave me a works answer because I've been kind to people 
And I took him to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. And so to repeat, the Lord values faith in himself and in his ways. Now, honestly, does the idea of someone being given righteousness without working for it seem too easy? If you're self-righteous, does it seem infuriating? If you're logical, does it seem nonsensical? Good. Good. Because Isaiah 55, 8 quotes God when it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amazing. The Gentiles wound up with righteousness by exercising faith. We go on. Question four. Who missed righteousness? The answer, quite surprisingly, is Israel. Oh, boy, Israel missed righteousness. The Jews, God's chosen people, God's covenantal people, they missed righteousness. Shocking. 30 to 33, Romans 9. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Israel, the nation voted most likely to be religious in the high school yearbook of mankind, missed out on being right with God, who chose them to be a special people. That's stunning. I think that two things jump out in the religious resume of the pre-Christian Saul who had a name change to become the Apostle Paul. I think two things jump out in Saul's religious resume before he met Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 and was converted. What are those two things? Number one, why Jews were shocked to be told they missed righteousness. And number two, what those Jews tired themselves out doing. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, Paul's resume when he was Saul and not yet a believer in Jesus, a persecutor of Jesus' people. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Why Jews were shocked to be told that they missed righteousness? What those Jews tired themselves out in doing? Question five. How did they miss it? How did the Jews miss righteousness? Answer. By pursuing a law of righteousness without faith but with works. That's pride. They missed righteousness by being proud. By pursuing a law of righteousness without faith but with works. See it there in 31 to 33. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You know, it isn't just Jews who miss out on God-offered righteousness these days. It isn't just Jews who miss out on God-offered relationship with himself. Muslims also work hard at religious duties, but they miss righteousness by a country mile. The month of Ramadan brings a dark, evil spirit over the entire Muslim region. It's a month that brings oppression, fear, anger, and even death. During Ramadan, people in many Muslim countries start their day facing the summer heat, hunger, and irritation. They do this, quote, to please Allah, end quote, whom they don't know personally and whom they believe that they cannot no, personally. Allah offers them virtually no assurance of salvation. So the typical Muslim enters into very difficult works, yet totally misses a right standing with God. What the Muslim heart needs is the rest from dead religious works and the receipt of God's grace and free gift of a certain salvation that comes exclusively through Jesus Christ. To illustrate further, years ago uh, in England, a very wealthy woman who employed maids and butlers noticed uh, marked and positive change in the work habits and attitudes of one of her employees. She asked the maid what had happened to change her. The maid told her boss of meeting Jesus Christ through the preaching of a certain visiting evangelist. The wealthy boss decided to hear the preacher for herself. She went to his next gospel meeting. The baroness spoke with the preacher after the meeting. She wanted to know how to be changed like her chambermaid had been changed. The preacher said that by placing your faith in Christ alone, just as your maid did.
The woman was indignant. Was there nothing that she must do? Faith alone was perhaps reasonable for her low IQ'd, plain, unsophisticated, uneducated, unrefined chambermaid, but she was everything better than that. Surely she had to do something and do it well. Tragically, the privileged, affluent woman walked away, having totally missed righteousness which was offered her in the Lord Jesus. Her pride made her decline to work for righteousness and disincline to receive with a heart of simple faith in Jesus. Again, I ask, how about you? Are you proud? Determined to do something religious? Quick to discount mere faith? I beg you. I beg you in Jesus' love. Don't miss out on the righteousness that is only offered to you by the finished work of Christ. Question six. Over what or who did they stumble? Answer, the stumbling stone, Jesus. Over what or who did they stumble? Over the stumbling stone, his name is Jesus. He was near to them. He moved amongst them. He taught them. He came to them. He healed them. He raised their dead. He was near to them. He did things right before their eyes. Verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 28 and verse 16, 700 years before Christ became incarnate, wrote, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. A prophecy about Jesus. Still with the prophet Isaiah, still 700 years before Jesus was born the first Christmas, said Isaiah said in Isaiah 8, verse 14, quote, Then he, that is Messiah Jesus, shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Over what or who did the Jews stumble as they missed righteousness? They stumbled over Jesus. They stubbed their toe, as it were, on Jesus. They became trapped in their pride and religious performance when faced with the truth, the light, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. Let's expand this concept of the stumbling stone a little. If you hold your places in Romans 9, please go with me to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 
1 through 8, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 8. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile, hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. In coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected this became the very cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. What we see in the verses I've just read is that Christ is presented as being four kinds of stones in the verses I've just read. Jesus is presented as being four kinds of stones. A living stone, that's verse 4. The cornerstone, that is verse 6. The rejected stone, that is verse 7. And a stumbling stone, that is verse 8. Jesus Christ is presented in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 8 as a living stone, a cornerstone, a rejected stone, and a stumbling stone. Now watch this. Christ is all four of these kinds of stones, and we ourselves are only two of these kind of stones. Jesus Christ is all four of these kind of stones, but you as a believer in Jesus are only two of those four. We are not the cornerstone, and we are not the rejected stone, but we are the living stones. Verse 5 you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are living stones, and we are, as it were, also stumbling stones. You're a stumbling stone if you're a believer where you work with unbelievers. You're a stumbling stone if you're married to an unbeliever. You're a stumbling stone around people who aren't in Christ. Jesus taught in the 15th chapter of John in verses 18 and 19, I quote, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. We're stumbling stones. More, Luke 6, 22 to 26, quote, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. 
for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in that same way. We're stumbling stones. And 1 John 3.13 says it as well. Quote, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We're stumbling stones when our lives are built on the cornerstone. Fellow believer, do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as a living stone? Do you see yourself as a stumbling stone? If you see yourself as a living stone, you are understanding you're regenerate, you're spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit, you're in the vine, that is Jesus Christ. I've said the prohibition in the letter to the Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just like the drinking person is controlled by the alcohol, the normal Christian, the healthy Christian, is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Just like a drunk looks silly to a sober person, the Christian who is filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit looks silly to the person who is not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That includes Christians in the church who aren't filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. When they see you filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think you are silly. That's sad. What have we seen so far? I think we've seen a lot. Let's wrap it up. We've seen the question, who attained righteousness? We answered with the Gentiles. What did they not do? They did not pursue righteousness. What did they do? They exercised faith. Who missed righteousness? Israel. How did they miss it? By pursuing a law of righteousness without faith, but both works. In verse, rather, question six again is, over what or who did they stumble? And the answer in the text is Christ. They stumbled over a living stone. They stumbled over a cornerstone. They stumbled over a rejected stone. They stumbled over a stumbling stone. And so like our Jesus... To some degree, we are living stones, and to, like our Lord Jesus, to some degree, we are stumbling stones. I kind of shook my head years back when many evangelicals have speculated that the beloved and late Pope John Paul was born again. Kind of shook my head as I watched his funeral on television. Was he born again? Did he receive Christ's righteousness by faith, or did he miss it by pursuing Roman Catholic Church dogma? Well, I'll let the facts speak for themselves. Upon whom did this pope rest his faith? John Paul II said this at the World Day of Youth for the Roman Catholic Church in 2003, and I quote, I entrust myself once again to you, Mary, and with confident affection, I repeat to you, todas tus ego sum. But that's Latin for, I am all yours. He said, my confident affection is in Mary. 
and I give Mary all of me. John Paul II designed his own papal coat of arms. It had a cross for Jesus on a blue shield. In the lower right quadrant of the shield, it also had a golden capital letter M for the Blessed Virgin Mary. When his coat of arms was proposed, a close advisor to Pope John Paul II observed that it did not make sense to put a letter on a shield of a papal coat of arms. The Pope told that advisor that it did not make sense not to put the capital letter M for Mary on his coat of arms. The same equating of the Virgin Mary to Jesus was seen in this Pope's death. His simple cypress wood coffin had two things on top of it, a cross and the letter M for Mary. Romans 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. He stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling in a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who share the same full and amazing salvation given to us by Christ, that we have not missed your righteousness that in your grace you've called us to Jesus. In your grace we responded, and in your grace we have been imputed with Christ's righteousness. Lord, we earnestly pray for the religious people who have missed righteousness. Oh God, use us to give them the simple but potent gospel message to invite them to trust only Jesus. And Lord, those are the religious people. Tonight we come to you on behalf of this land that seems full of criminals, murderers, no respect for human life, no fear of the law, no fear of God. Oh God, Help us to pray these folks into Jesus Christ, his transformative blood, his transformative love, his transformative word. Because the fact that we have not missed righteousness should never make us look down our noses at people who are missing it. Give us love for those presently missing your righteousness. 
Give us urgency to get them the truth. Give us a prayer faithfulness to pray that your spirit would convict them of sin, their own. Convict them of judgment, Jesus Christ. Convict them of condemnation, except the grace and cross of Jesus interpose in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that if you can save me, you can save anybody. And each one of us could say that and it'd be true. If you can save me, you can save anybody, Lord. Bless this congregation here tonight, small but mighty. Send them to their homes, their work, their transacting, their praying this week so that people will not miss righteousness because of our ministry of Christ to them. And we ask this in the Lord Jesus' precious, holy, and unique name. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace.